This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you without my co-host, Andy Bailey. I am, however, pleased, excited, grateful to be joined by NBA Math founder and editor-in-chief, Adam Frommel. He also writes for Bleacher Report. He is also a former co-host of the Hardwood Knox Podcast, and now a frequent guest, and forever a friend of said podcast. Before we get into talking about the conference finals matchups and maybe a team outlook, I just want to remind everyone to please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. That is still the best way to help us out and let us know you're listening. We really appreciate it when we see the ratings and review numbers go up. So if you can take the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day and really just make Andy and I aware that you are listening, that would be great. You can also continue to get 15% off at the NBA Math shop that is mbamath.com slash shop promo code benno b-e-n-o should be easy enough to remember since he has basically talked about at least once every single podcast with all of that out of the way the question the listeners are dying to know the answer to how are you doing this morning adam i am doing fantastic i'm glad to be here i'm glad that we're getting some entertaining playoff games during these conference finals and I just want to say that all of our birthdays are coming up, and we'd like nothing more than ratings and reviews on the podcast. That's totally fine with me, even though my birthday's not coming up, so I'm with it. I mean, mine's not until September, but it's still coming up technically. That's fair. I do, I was about to say, I do have a birthday left in 2018. I do not, because I was born in January, so I'm not going to use that as an excuse. Give Andy and Adam the fantastic birthday presents, and whenever <laughs> NBA Mass Technical Director Arjun. Uh, was born they nothing they want nothing more for their birthdays other than hardware knox rating and review numbers to go up um we'll start with the celtics cavaliers because that this series has not it's been entertaining insofar as what is this going to mean for lebron's future in cleveland because this is absolute chaos but the games themselves have not been entertaining and i I, I've refused personally to bet against LeBron James before the NBA Finals. I think you picked, we did the preview pod for this, you did pick the Cavs, maybe it was in seven or something. I'm wondering if, obviously it's easy to adjust the scope now that they're down 3-2, but do you actually think that the Celtics are going to pull this off? I have no idea. Like I keep, I keep saying that whenever somebody asks me about a specific game or this series in general, because betting against LeBron is so difficult. Like Seven years running, we've, we've seen him overcome all the the obstacles in the eastern conference and this boston one is a pretty tough one especially now that they're down three to two but at the same time like who knows this series has been wholly determined by who's playing at home because the cleveland supporting cast is incapable of doing anything in boston and boston's young roster is pretty much incapable of doing anything in cleveland 
So we almost have to give game six to Cleveland. And do you really want to bet against LeBron James in a game seven to get into the finals? Like I, I, I don't want to still, but at the same time, it's almost impossible to actually predict that this mediocre, at best, Cleveland team is going to beat Boston twice in a row. It's so... And the fact that that's so hard to imagine is such an indictment of his supporting cast. Because these Celtics... They've been impressive, and the offense-by-committee model has worked for them, where you can look at them and say, you know, we're not going to get all-NBA-type scoring performances every night from one player, but between Al Horford, Marcus Morris, Rozier, Tatum, Brown, even Marcus Smart, who I just want to be as confident at anything as Marcus Smart continues to be at throwing <laughs> up three-pointers. Absolutely. They, they do not go in, but he shoots his shot. And sometimes they do go in, as they did in Game 5. You could count though on three of those guys it seems like every single game to give you just enough regardless of what combination of three it is whereas if I look at the Cavaliers roster and we try and pinpoint the one guy the one guy outside of James and I'm throwing Kevin Love in here too you have no idea what you're going to get from any of those subsequent players I think the the most certain thing or factor for the Cavaliers outside of LeBron James is Kyle Korver's effort and you know what? You can't enjoy Kyle Korver's effort or his shooting if you don't fucking play him for most of the game, like in Game 5. That was such yeah, a but you can only play him when Semi Ojale is on the court. Yeah, that was— We know that now. Listen, the reason the Cavaliers are going to lose this series is because they game plan their entire defense and offensive scheme around Shane Larkin returning, and because he's yet to play, <laughs> that just torpedoed any chance that they have at the series. Can we also just stop pretending that this supporting cast is better than 2007's? Everybody always loves to talk about how LeBron single-handedly dragged that 2007 team to the finals where they were just destroyed by the Spurs. But that team had Zydrunas Olgowskis, who was 31, Anderson Verajao, who was 24, Drew Gooden, Larry Hughes, Daniel Gibson. Those aren't exciting names, but that supporting cast was way outperforming this current one, despite the bigger names on the current roster. Right, and I think people need to remember that it's not about the the name power it's strictly about the performances and maybe this supporting cast could be a little bit better if they had more time together you look at a guy like Rodney Hood specifically his role has needed to change so much compared to what he was used to in Utah even though that was more of an egalitarian system he had more freedom to operate off the bounce and now you've just been ticketed for bystander duty essentially if you want to play alongside LeBron James and then to never really get your bearings about you on offense you've always been overrated on defense maybe if you gave these guys more time together maybe if hill and hood were healthy to close the season where you could have had fully healthy games together the supporting cast looks better right now it's a disaster and it's just not even and even if whether it's continuity whether it's just pure talent level the supporting cast is clearly the most inferior one that lebron has ever had you know what would convince me that they had a chance to win these next two games is Tyron Lue actually giving Larry Nance more of a chance. I can't figure out why he's not getting on the court more when he's been a largely beneficial presence on defense throughout the entire playoffs. He's been one of their few consistent guys on that end, and it just all comes down to his willingness to hustle and use that athleticism as both a rim protector and a guy who can switch out onto perimeter players. It's something that they really don't have and for whatever reason, he's still getting buried on the bench. It's just, it's unfathomable to me that he's playing only 14.9 minutes per game in these playoffs. And it seemed like that number has gone down against Boston. 
I guess the Tyron lose defense there is that when you were playing Kevin Lovemore at center and it essentially moved both Thompson and Nance to the bench and Nance wasn't playing well to begin with, you kind of put yourself in a situation where you had to pick one because you can't play those two together. That, that would be a disaster unto itself. Why not at this point? Why not just try it? It torpedoes your spacing, and the spacing is shaky enough because the Cavaliers just, you don't even need to defend them on three-pointers anymore. They're just going to miss all these wide-open bunnies, apparently. But I I, I get, Lou's inability to adjust, and then when he does adjust for it to be the wrong adjustment, like let's not play Kyle Korver a lot, and Larry Nance Jr. has gotten, I believe, gotten some spin over the past two games. He's played okay. He... He struggled in the playoffs specifically to catch the ball, it seems. like when... yeah, It's just defense that I'm talking about here. It's Cause that's, that's the biggest thing they need. And, and to, to talk about that playing time, in, uh, in game, game four, he played 10 minutes. In game five, he played 16. Okay, yeah, so we got up to almost 17 in game five. It's just, I could see them, like his playing time actually decreasing in game six, even though it probably shouldn't, just because if you want, if you've decided now that mirroring minutes for Al Horford with one of Nance or Thompson just isn't working enough, and then you try and play Love at the five more, uh, that, again, is going to eat into the minutes of of both Thompson or Nance because you're not going to play them together. And I guess you could try it, to your point, maybe whenever Baines and Horford are on the floor for Boston. I I don't know. It's And here's the fundamental dilemma with this roster. I don't necessarily know that there's anything they can do if you said that Lou was going to coach this game perfectly to a T, game six, or even a game seven, the rest of the series, whatever, can you still have confidence that they're going to win? Because the team itself just doesn't seem like it's built to play well enough to get through these types of situations. And I say this having stubbornly picked them to continue to win this series. Just Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom. We do it right, too, by offering up to 20% off select toilets during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. Step up your style even more with floor tiles starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath. We do it right, too, with up to 40% off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. That's up to 40% off faucets, vanities, showerheads, and more. For kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Because I refuse to pick against LeBron James before the NBA Finals. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> there's there's a very clear talent deficit aside from the best player. And Boston, despite losing those pieces, Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward is still just really deep and it has enough bodies that it can throw at LeBron that for the first I mean, for the first time that I can remember, he looks tired. I think that was that was my biggest takeaway from game five was that he just he looked exhausted. He was the the movements on the court were perfunctory. He looked like he was sleepwalking on defense at times, uh, which he has throughout the playoffs. But this this felt a little bit different. It felt like he he just didn't have the energy to muster up. And this is a guy who's always prided himself on his ability to never show fatigue. And that was that was a little bit disconcerting. I don't know if 
that's just going to change because he's just going to hit the restart button and and be totally fine for game six and seven and seven. But it was it was weird. The he yeah, it's just and then people are making a big deal out of it. You either have the faction of Twitter that's like, well, MJ never would have gotten tired, or you have the people who are trying to turn this fatigue thing into more of a storyline than it is. LeBron said after the game, everyone's tired. And he shouldn't be committing six, seven turnovers every night. Has to make better decisions. The Cavaliers have been softballing passes that are just like gimmies to the Celtics in the lane. It's been yep. terrible. I just LeBron's tired. We get it, but he's always I, he was tired and still had the game he had should have been enough for the Cavaliers to win. Like that type of a line from LeBron James. If you want to throw his defense into it, his lackadaisical closeouts are just are just awful. But that's. LeBron's fatigue, it's a concern for me, but I, I know he's going to be there in the end. Like, he's going to... See, I feel, like, I feel like this is different than the typical types of fatigue that we talk about, like how everyone loves to run with the narrative that, that Curry must be hurt or tired when he's not shooting well. Like, people have bad games. But this was like... It, it wasn't just that he was tired, because like he said, everyone's tired. It's that he was tired and didn't have that ability to get in that next gear which is something that we've never seen from him because even when he's he's dealing with exhaustion he's able to run down the court for a chase down block or take over on a couple straight possessions and we see him having to stand off on the wings and and defer to these limited teammates. Yeah, that's fair. It is his 15th season. It is him trying to go for an eighth straight finals appearance. It's not an indictment of him as a player. Like, it happens. He's He didn't rest a single game in the regular season. He's playing 41 minutes a game in the playoffs. Like, but that, but he's going to get tired. But that's the point, is that this is still going to be seen. Or maybe it's not. Maybe, collectively, both basketball Twitter and a casual fan are smart enough to know that this, this series loss, this dilemma in Cleveland doesn't entirely fall on James. But it feels like he's going to take a brunt of the blame, and there'll be people saying... He's the GM. This roster is his fault. Whether or not he had a say in these moves, whether or not he authored any of them, a, f- a functional organization has to know when to tell their star player no and to draw those lines, assuming they exist. I, because I don't believe for a minute, if LeBron had control over this team, I don't believe for a minute David Griffin would be gone. He would still be there. And so oh, would definitely. Kyrie. Yeah, that one's a little more debatable. But... Like like you said, though, there there has to be some level of accountability here for the people who are ostensibly controlling the organization because there is no way you should be letting LeBron James in his 15th season play all 82 games, lead the league in minutes per game, and then play 41 minutes per game in the playoffs. If you can't win because he's not doing that, that is a knock on your team building abilities. You have, like, especially in today's NBA, which is really physical despite what the people who love to prop up 80s basketball like to think it's really physical it's really fast-paced it's such an athletic sport that you need those rest days especially for a 33 year old human being yeah oh 100 percent. and it doesn't on top of all that to have a team that's so i hate to say poorly coached but the Cavs have been poorly coached they're poorly coached or, you can say it lou I, is a bad coach to put it kindly they've been inconsistent say it dan coached. Say it, Dan. They've been inconsistently Come coached. on. You know you want to. You're such a baiter. Um, <laughs> Tyron Lue, can we just – can the one thing we agree on, can we just ether Jeff Green's minutes into the sun 
or something. They've been, I don't even know why you have him and Tristan Thompson on the court at the same time. Uh, the minutes he's played with LeBron and loved this series, he's seen some of them in just about every game. Through those five games, the Cavaliers are a minus 39.3 points per 100 possessions when LeBron and Kevin Love play with Jeff Green. You know who should get those instead? Chetty Osman. Yep. Was that going to be You're your supposed actually? to say Nance, though. You I thought, ruined my punchline. I actually thought you were going to come out with, with like, Rodney Hood or something. That's why I said <laughs> Chetty. Yeah, give me more Chetty. Uh, do you – so – do you think it is this is this the end? Like is this they're done even if they win game 6 they're not going to win game 7? Oh man. Uh, I need the series again, to like, from you. How do you bet against LeBron in game 7? How about this? My 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 official prediction would be that whoever wins game 6 wins the series. <laughs> that's like <laughs> that's like only half of a cop out because the Cavaliers right. would still technically need to win one game. The thing that's I, I agree with your Game 7 sentiments, but no team has won in Boston this year during the playoffs. And the Celtics have just been... They're, they're night and day on the road and at home. Yeah. They're outscoring opponents at home by 10.7 points per 100 possessions, and they're 10-0. and 0. On the road, meanwhile, heading into Game 6, they're 1-6 for the playoffs and a minus 11.6 points per 100 possessions. It's just... If they get a Game 7, it's almost like you have to expect them because they've been so good at home. And yet, people, including myself, continue to trumpet this idea that because they don't have that reliable, experienced, off-the-dribble-from-scratch shot creator like Kyrie or Gordon Hayward, that they shouldn't have enough to win in that type of setting. And because you're relying so heavily on Rozier... Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, who have a combined six years of NBA experience between them. And because Marcus Morris is all of a sudden an integral part of what you do offensively, you traded for him because he's a body that you could throw on LeBron James and those wings defensively. But now he's this big part of your offense and you need him sometimes to not just hit shots, but go out and create them. They shouldn't win that game. And yet I am picking the Cavaliers to win this series and I feel awful about it. I feel like I feel like that's almost inflammatory to say that at this point because the Cavaliers have been that bad and the Celtics time and time again have just proved the the notion that I laid out that they're somehow at this stark disadvantage because they don't have that experienced off the dribble shot creation. They've just proved it wrong. Yeah, I mean for me though, game 7 isn't about the Celtics. Like I have full confidence in their ability to play well at home even in that setting even without that primary shot creator but it's about lebron if you're if you're going to pick that game are you really going to bet against him like it's it's as simple as that we can dive into the much more nuanced breakdowns of of that game and the individual matchups but ultimately you have to be willing to bet against one of the two greatest basketball players in nba history on that stage that's tough Although I will say that the that the Celtics didn't really play well offensively in Game Five and still won. Like they shot, I think it was like thirty six and change percent from the floor. So I mean, it would be super interesting. Um, I just I I'm picking LeBron because I think you the right thing to do. He's and he's earned this benefit of the doubt, even though his team clearly hasn't. The the right pick is just to pick LeBron, and there there are certain things. That can normalize, you know. Even if Semi doesn't play in Game Six, Kyle Korver still might. You know, I, th- <laughs> I, I think we could say that with uh, might being the operative word. Yeah, and 
Um, the other thing that could maybe the Cavaliers will hit a higher percentage of their wide open threes. They're at under 36% on wide open threes for this series. That being said, the Celtics haven't shot an incredibly high clip on wide open threes either. They're at 36.4. So I'm still picking the Cavs, but I do so reluctantly. It also it also feels like Boston has done a good job compelling the right shooters to be the ones taking those wide open threes. Like they're not... It's it's Cleveland that's rotating off of the good shooters and leaving them open in the corners more than I've seen Boston do that. Like Kyle Korver's gotten the occasional open look, but they they've done a good job sticking with him and letting the other guys take the shots. Do you remember how the the general sentiment was that Kyle Korver finally wouldn't have to work so hard to get his shots going from Atlanta to Cleveland, and now I feel like he's working in the aggregate, way harder, way harder <laughs> because you look at what he's doing on defense. Like this, this guy at the age of fifty-five years old has to die for these loose balls and get back on defense because no one else on his team will. I've always appreciated his effort, by the way. It's it's kind of fun that the world seems to be realizing that there is more to Corver than the three-point shooting, though. He's always uh, been just, an understated passer, too. Yeah, exactly. He's been he's always been a decent passer. He's always been like a, a decent positional defender, kind of like Steph Curry, where he knows where he's supposed to be and can push guys into the right spots. And if you manage to isolate him, that's when it's in a little bit more trouble. Yeah, so uh, both of us are still, it sounds reluctantly, going with Cavs. Those are the general... Yeah, I think the one enduring question I have on the Cavs before we the move one on is: Does George Hill know he's allowed to shoot more than four or five times a game? Okay, maybe the second enduring <laughs> question that I have. It's I have this weird, weird feeling that the further into the playoffs we get, the more likely LeBron is to leave Cleveland. Like if they win this series and make it to the finals, I almost feel like that's even more so going to push him out the door because it's more games of him realizing the ridiculous burden that he has to shoulder at this stage of his career to have this level of success. So his potential departure from Ohio this offseason almost seems to run counter to what we might have expected going into the playoffs, where the better they do, the more likely he is to leave because of the way this roster is constructed and has played. And I'm curious if you agree with that. That's interesting. I don't know that I've ever thought of it that way. I've always looked at his free agency from the perspective of, I don't know that there's this guaranteed to be much better situation out there for him. I know the common refrain is Philly, and that kind of seems to take care of what you just laid out because you have Ben Simmons. Maybe you trade Markel Fultz, but you have Dario Sarge can create his own shot. You have guys that can, you have Joel Embiid, of course. There are just fit issues there for me. And if LeBron isn't willing to take, I don't want to say a step back, but to adjust his role immediately, there there are those fit issues. Houston's interesting if they can, if he can do an opt-in and trade. But there probably need to be a third and fourth team involved just because I don't know what the Rockets can include to incentivize that deal Mm -hmm. enough for Cleveland to take on Ryan Anderson and or. Eric Gordon. Even though Gordon's contract isn't particularly bad, it's just to have to take on both those players when you're trying to start a rebuild. And also, and because we're going to get into them too, if Houston makes the NBA Finals, are they going to go out there and think that they need LeBron? Uh, Maybe. Uh, Maybe. Or maybe, you know, the Warriors come into play. (laughs) Because they'll have lost in the Conference Finals. That is an interesting point, but I'm not... Where does he go that... He doesn't need to make too many concessions, but can also take the step back and not have to be 
this 42-plus minutes per game guy, or if he's going to be 42-plus minutes per game anyway, then his usage rate doesn't need to be a million percent wherever he's I think going. I think there are two places that have already existed in rumors that could potentially check those boxes, and those are the Los Angeles Lakers and the New York Knicks. In both situations, he could continue to play similar basketball, but there are enough pieces where he could not have to do so much of the heavy lifting, more so in, in L.A. than New York. But if Kristaps Porzingis is healthy and Frank Tilakina looks good and they have more draft picks coming in this year, there are enough pieces there for it to be like a somewhat intriguing destination for the reason you stated that he wouldn't have to make as many concessions. I never would have guessed in a million years that you would have thrown the Knicks into that category if you're it makes to, sense though if you're doesn't trying it? to placate me i appreciate it i actually no no, no. it's yeah. it's solely about it's solely about what you said about not having to make too many stylistic concessions and if there's a landing spot where he's going to have young talent around and the ability to build a more cohesive roster and not have to completely alter the way he plays basketball that's a good fit <laughs> and is it now based on what you're saying it then it's almost a benefit that Chris Porzingis might not play next season because the Knicks can say, hey, LeBron, you get to go it alone one more time, and, and then you can take your – you have one more year of being superhuman. And, and I mean, I don't, I, I don't necessarily agree <laughs> that he wants to go to a place where he doesn't have to make stylistic concessions. I'm just answering your question. If you where, – where do you see him going then if you think it's more likely that he leaves? I still think Philly. I, I can't picture them being – everything we hear – and everything that's said is that they're an option, and they, they have the ability to get the money to sign him, I just don't see it for some reason. I don't. I feel like it's too much of a stylistic concession on his behalf. Basketball-wise, it has the highest ceiling because we've seen peak Dwayne Wade was better than Ben Simmons is right now. And Ben Simmons is only going to get better. So LeBron has shown that he can play with non-shooters. I've we've never really seen LeBron play with a big man like Joel Embiid. He's not he does not play anything like Chris Bosch. And I'm not sure at this point in his career, with the type of personality he has, he'd be willing to make the tactical compromises that Chris Bosch did over those four years in Miami. Man, if he was though, if he was willing to finally accept that he should just be a power forward operating off the blocks. That team would be so good. A power forward? Who, LeBron yeah. or LeBron? LeBron. Or oh, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I honestly have no idea where he would go. I would still think, because I've we've read stuff that says, why would Houston want LeBron or jump through the hoops to get LeBron? I kind of feel like Houston would be my top pick for him. My guilty pleasure pick, or I guess my shameless promotional pick, is he just needs to go to San Antonio and join Kawhi Leonard and Greg Popovich and and get it done there. If you want a team that's shown they can maximize players' twilights, that would be the team. Yeah, I mean, another another really fun team that has no ability to get him would be the Nuggets. Just if we're talking about where he'd really fit in, can you imagine the passing on that team and he'd be surrounded with shooting from everywhere? That would be the ultimate I really only care about the basketball fit for yeah. agency pick. That, yeah. would be the, that would be the consummate... You need, like, a veteran minimum deal. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, okay, I'm not going to lay out the details here, but the Nuggets actually have, if they can, because of the contract situation... Well, they'd have to defer Jokic's contract, which would piss him off. Well, I don't think you need to defer it. You carry the the cap hold, which is negligible. It's sub $2 million, and then once you get LeBron, you then sign Mm. Jokic. The, The issue is, 
they have Kenneth Reed uh, will be an expiring contract. Wilson Chandler, I think he'll opt in. That's like one of the the hardest ones to predict. Darrell Arthur's opting in. He's opting in. I would opt in to play yeah. with LeBron. <laughs> but no, I'm saying you would need to move those deals. And yeah. it's, it's not impossible, but they could technically do it. But that would be the ultimate, like, hey, like, I don't give a crap about market. Like, I care purely. I don't care about loyalty to Cleveland. I only purely care about basketball fit. It's the ultimate basketball fit for him. And it's also never going to happen. And we've already spent way too much time allowing for that <laughs> so do you think he i'll make the question easier do you think he leaves this summer yeah so lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath we do it right too with up to 40 percent off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our refresh for less kitchen and bath event that's up to 40 percent off faucets vanities shower heads and more for kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. I'm 0 for 2 on his free agency decisions. I don't know about you. I'm I'm feeling this is good 0 for 3, but I don't, I don't see him leaving unless it's for Houston. I just, for some reason, I can't, I can't picture it. It's just he has. Well, if you're predicting that he stays, and I'm predicting that he goes, then one, one of us, us is going to be, be one right. and two. Yeah, one of us is going to be one and two. Watch him retire. <laughs> <laughs> um. So that will bring us to the Western Conference Finals, and we're recording. That was this. a seamless segue. Yeah, <laughs> we talked about the Rockets. <laughs> um, yeah, the Warriors might need to throw themselves into the LeBron sweepstakes if they lose in the conference finals. Losing in the NBA finals would almost be different again. It's not Draymond Green has to go in the parking lot and call LeBron James up if they lose in the NBA finals. If they fall to the Rockets, though, they just won't have enough top five NBA players. They'll have to go out and get a third one. Like, you need... Clearly, the goal all along has been we're going to need three top five players so that we can beat the Rockets. They're going to have to go out and get LeBron James if they lose. Just to clarify, you don't consider Jordan Bell a top five player? No. Maybe top seven. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. In the future. You could make the case, not so much this year, but that Draymond Green was a top 10 player, in which case they already have three top 10 guys. They definitely have th- three top 20 guys, maybe four, depending on where you put Clay Thompson. But they're going to have. We're recording this after game five, which was just nuts um, towards the end. Chris Paul suffers a right hamstring injury inside the final 30 seconds, has to leave. His status for Game 6 seems very much up in the air. And Mike D'Antoni was verging on sinister in his post-game presser where he basically, he said, one, Chris Paul's worried about the hamstring injury. And two, he, he like already had plans about how he was going to put Eric Gordon in and, and how they were going to play. And it was just like, wow, could Chris Paul really not be available for Game 6? But let's assume that Paul plays at some point again this series, whether it's Game 6 or Game 7. Do you think the Warriors are, are finished? I don't. Me neither. You yeah, I, I just don't. Is that it? We're good? Yeah, we can move on. <laughs> we can move on. No, it's it's interesting because Houston has very clearly gained the stylistic upper hand in this series. Their defense, which we should note was ranked sixth in the league throughout the regular season, much to the chagrin of people who want to say that they're an offense-only team. No names will be mentioned. Um, this is a good defense. It's got a lot of useful bodies that they can have rotate. Uh, P.J. Tucker has been brilliant with his weak side rotations against Kevin Durant 
And they're forcing the Warriors to stop passing the ball, to not even bother to move away from the primary action, and to play and to play the, the Rockets game, which is just one isolation after another. And Durant and Steph Curry are good enough that it almost worked in Game 5. They, they almost bailed them out with some displays of shot-making ability, but that's not the way that they want to play, and it's not the way they're going to play if they're going to win this series. But at the same time, like they have enough talent to overcome this, especially as we go back to, to the Bay Area for Game 6. I hearken back to the conference finals of 2016 where they fell behind Oklahoma City 3-1, to and the sentiment was just that they're going to win anyway. It, it feels like, for some reason, it feels like this situation... Not having Andre Iguodala is a big deal. Uh, it seems Clay Thompson, if at the very least, if he's not favoring the injury, he, he had a good game too in Game Five, but yeah. he just he doesn't look the same defensively. But you hit it right on the head. The Warriors' offense doesn't look like the Warriors' offense. It was in Game Five specifically. It was we're just going to throw it to Kevin Durant in the post, and Kevin Durant is going to play like Aaron Aflalo is how it looked. And Steve Kerr said after the game that Kevin Durant post ups a good option. And statistically, it was it was true. Entering Game 5, Kevin Durant for the postseason was averaging 1.16 points per post-up, which is incredible. He was shooting above 52% on post-ups with a turnover rate under 5. But that's just not how the Warriors play. And you don't want to see Draymond Green yeah, post-ups yeah. in this situation. Stephen Curry... 17 shots, it, for him, it should be enough. But at the same time, he just needs to generally have the ball in his hands more because the Warriors are a different team when he when defenses bend that way. And that's not to say that Kevin Durant's necessarily easier to defend, but he's a lot easier to defend if you're going to throw him in the post. Well, I think the issues are, are twofold there because, one, these players, especially Durant in Game 5, aren't even looking to pass. And two... The Warriors are so frustrated by the Rockets' ability to switch and to to stave off their actions that they're not even bothering to cut off the ball. So when you don't have anyone looking to pass and you don't have anyone to pass to, that's a problem, and it makes them a whole lot easier to defend. But it's also the reason that I, I still think that Golden State should feel fine with where it is and, and fine with its ability to win the next two games because their biggest issues on offense, which has been their primary struggle, are all related to effort. It's being willing to still make those cuts and to still run those sets even when they aren't working and then to focus when you're passing the ball. We shouldn't see these sloppy turnovers in an elimination game scenario. And I think just the threat of them not getting back to the finals should be enough for them to turn it on a little bit because it really feels like this team has another gear and that's not to discredit Houston whatsoever. This is a phenomenal basketball team that has done a great job making the defending champions uncomfortable. But Golden State still still seems to have that next level that it hasn't reached yet. I pretty much agree with you. I do wonder if at all the lack of cutting, the, the ball moment was probably better in Game 5 than it was in Game 4. Um, Still wasn't regular season level, though. No, not not even close. Uh, it's Is fatigue a factor here at all? And one of the, the things that was kind of curious is you look back to Game 4 where Steve Kerr, I don't know if he was trying to put the game away in the third quarter. Maybe he was just rolling with the hot hands. But you have Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, Stephen Curry all played all 12 minutes of that third quarter, which seems a little atypical and Durant was the only one to play the entire third quarter 
in game four, uh, game five, excuse me. And it makes me wonder, is their offense, offensive deviation kind of a function of that fatigue? Because it takes energy to play the way that they do, even in the half court. We talk, you know, we talk about their overall pace, um, and how sometimes they like to play a full court game, but like their half court sets are exhaustive when you look at all those, that off ball movement. Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily want to use fatigue as an excuse here in part because I think it minimizes what we're actually seeing with LeBron because the Warriors level of fatigue is much more what we would just expect from a playoff team at this stage and the Rockets are probably That's feeling right. pretty similarly. So I'm not I'm not sure I want to want to go down that route so much as wish that Steve Kerr was more willing to rely on some of his some of his bench players. Uh, th- this rotation doesn't necessarily need to shrink quite as much as it has. And we we haven't seen the productiveness from those bench guys that we saw throughout the regular season. Like Jordan Bell's role has been pretty minimized in this series. Quinn Cook hasn't been allowed to handle the ball as much and has been relegated to, to spot-up shooting duties, which isn't what we saw at the end of the regular season. And a lot of this is a function of the stage that we're at. But it would be nice to see a little bit more trust in the guys who helped get you here. You would think, though, with Luka Bamu basically unable to play now. He can't even, his shoulder injury was so bad that he couldn't even take layups. And now with Clint Capella, very, I don't want to say decidedly, but it sounds like he's just, or it looks like he's going to play under 30 minutes a game on average for the rest of the series. You would think those kind of two factors, looking at them alone, it kind of makes you believe that the Warriors should be up in this series because those are not to have Luka yeah. Bamut on the floor. He was super important to Houston's defensive identity, as is Tucker and Trevor Ariza. But like those were the three guys, and Chris and Capella too. But I'm just saying, if you could have said, and Bamut's not really going to be able to play, Capella's going to play well south of 30 minutes every night. That that should favor the Warriors. But you know, you you talk about Steve Kerr maybe leaning on his bench a little bit more. There are probably some things he could be more creative with when looking at how they allocate the center minutes, but without Andre Godala, their wing rotation is just, it's kind of shallow to begin with. And it's, who do you play? Is it, you give Sean Livingston a ton more minutes? Uh, How much, I'm not calling Quinn Cook a wing per se, but how many minutes do you give to him? People were up in arms that he took a wide open three pointer in crunch time in game five, which I just didn't, agree with NBA players. I mean, that's the shot you want there. Yeah. There's no way you're going to turn that down. You, I think Stephen Curry, that someone tweeted this out upon second watch was open, but like NBA players are NBA players for a reason. If you're actively telling them that they can't take wide open three pointers, then they just shouldn't be on the court. Yeah. So uh, they have a nice little dilemma. They could catch a huge break because if Chris Paul doesn't play in game six and he's, he's had to carry Houston's offense, not just at times in this series, but you date back to the end of that Jazz series because James Harden, who's missed his past 23-pointers, he's been kind of off and not as usual. 70, Se- right? The last 70? <laughs> that sounds about right. Let's go. I think it's last 100. Let's cover all the bases. Okay, just pure round number there. To not If they don't have him in Game 6 or if he's just not right in Game 6, if this is just the next version of Mbappé trying to play through it and can't, the Warriors should roll and they'll be at home. And I still expect them to win the series – but we are kind of now, we're going on multiple games talking about these turnovers, talking about them journeying outside their typical offensive identity a little too often, to put it super kindly. Does that concern you at all? Or is it just Absolutely. this is going to be an elimination game there at home, they're going to win, and then they're going to take it over in Game 7? 
No, I don't think it's by any means going to be an easy process to climb out of this hole because Houston, again, has, has asserted itself as the team with the, the strategic advantage here. And the Warriors are struggling to find a way to overcome that. I just think that the last two games, despite the lack of ball movement, despite the lack of offensive identity, have come down to the wire. I mean, if Clay Thompson makes that that turnaround jumper out of the post, that game ends differently. If Quinn Cook makes that wide open three pointer, then who knows how that how game five would have ended. So as close as they are right now, and granted, James Harden hasn't really been James Harden, the extra focus that should come with that elimination game scenario, in my opinion, should be enough to put the Warriors just barely over the top here. Yeah. I just I don't think by any means it's going to be an easy process. Game six would be that would be it would be shocking to me if they lost that. Game seven wouldn't surprise me if the Rockets don't have Paul for some reason or if he's playing terribly, it would then shock me if they lose. But game six is just you look at that game as the one that the Warriors are just going to win. That's what feels like the automatic W. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. It's I just I hope that we get a good game because as close as game five was, it was ugly to watch. That It wasn't an enjoyable basketball game because it was two teams struggling to look like themselves. That's not what we want. No, that that's certainly fair, too. That Man, the Warriors at the start of that game, it seemed like they were turning the ball over on every possession. I thought it was – that was ugly. I, I'm fascinated by this series because if you're the Warriors and you lose to the Rockets, do you view this – as an indictment of where you are or no, it's just, we're just going to run it back with this. You, first of all, you don't really have many options unless you're going to start to get rid of guys. And I don't yeah. want to overreact and say they need to break up the, the big four or the fat fab four, whatever you want to call them, the fantabulous four, but you do have to take some sort of a look in the mirror. If you do lose this series, right? Because you're not especially deep on the wings overall, your big man situation could potentially get weird. You declined Kevon Looney's team option. The assumption was that David West was going to retire, although he's kind of equivocated there. Zaza Pachulia is not getting another contract. I don't. Javale McGee is whatever. Maybe Jordan Bell's ready for more. But you might need a different type of big man now too. And you combine that with the lack of depth on the wings. If you lose in this series, is this like a? Does it make for a complicated offseason for Golden State? I don't think it, it needs to get particularly complicated because they're going to recognize that Houston is is a historically good team right now. And how different might things have been if Patrick McCaw hadn't suffered that freak injury? Because all of a sudden you're forced into playing Nick Young bigger minutes. You're forced into shrinking the rotation and your biggest flaws on the wings right now. What if that guy who is supposed to be a two-way up-and-coming player is is there and is available? I mean, that That alone makes this a far more complete roster and it makes me wonder if they regret cutting ties with Omri Caspi midway through the year just because while he's not like some game-changing piece at this stage of his career he at least fills what you need right now Mm -hmm. and I'm sure that he would be a lot more useful than having another big that you're just leaving on the bench fair enough um I think that pretty much we've, we've kind of exhausted both those series. We're picking, we're being uninteresting. We're assuming LeBron's going to win, and we're assuming the Warriors are going to come back and beat the Rockets, setting up Cavs-Warriors round four. Does, does that series last more than five games? No. No. 
Is it remember last year the Cavs and uh, Warriors and six was painted as the cowards pick? Is Warriors and five the cowards pick this year? Because it seems like the Cleveland series, especially after going through the Rockets, is one that the Warriors should just win in four. You know what? I don't. I, if you're picking not only the winner of a series and the length of the series, I don't think it should ever be considered a coward's pick. Regardless, you should just pick what you think is right. I reject your question. Wow. <laughs> um. I mean, all right, that's fine. So, what would be your pick for that series? Then, Warriors and five. Warriors and five. All right, that's that's fair. Oh, I did have a little bit piece of trivia here for you to wrap up. Is that part of why Golden State seems so enamored with throwing Kevin Durant in the post right now is because of the mismatches they quote unquote set up. Chris Paul has defended Kevin Durant on 32 possessions for this series. I'm going to give you an over under on points per possession that the Warriors are averaging in those situations as a team. So just to include who he passes out but I didn't get to the over-under just yet. 1.04. So you could say 104 offensive rating. I'm still going to go under. Yeah, it's 1.03. That's the... oh, You made it close, though. I did. I was try- it was. I- you should have said 1.02, because I still would have said under. Well, yeah, after you said that, I wasn't going to try. 1.04 was the one I had in my head. Um, this is just me trying to say that they should abandon the Kevin Durant post-ups and so much just one-on-one on, one stuff. It's valuable to have that in crunch time. That's why you have him. You don't need to be going through that the entire game. I agree. Um, but that is it for us here. I want to thank Adam for coming on. We're going to make it, by our standards, a relatively short one, and there was only one podcast this week because everyone is just insanely busy. Make sure you are following Adam on Twitter. He appreciates being called out and threatened and and all that good stuff. And if you have a radio show and you want to dare him to come on and, and then not <laughs> and then be mad when he doesn't because you're being irrational, you can find Shout him on out, Twitter Justin. at Frommel09, F-R-O-M-A-L-09. He is the founder and editor-in-chief of NBA Math. He is also a national NBA feature columnist at Bleacher Report. We've been working together almost a decade now, haven't we? It's getting close to that, isn't it? Everyone's getting old. I'm like eight years now. Yeah, it's been the worst eight years of my life. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. Andy can be found at Andrew D. Bailey. NBA Math, at NBA underscore math. And be sure to follow Hardwood Knox at Hardwood Knox. As always, remember, you can still get 15% off at the NBAMath.com shop. That's NBAMath.com slash shop. Promo code Benno, B-E-N-O. Until next time, I leave you all with the shout-out to Kyle Anderson. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom. We do it right too by offering up to 20% off select toilets during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. Step up your style even more with floor tile starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only.